0: This is Deep Dive. I'm Fei Fei. Electric vehicles have become all the right now. Not only have we seen rises in sales globally by about 30% in the third quarter, but also many are predicting that new energy vehicles will likely make up a majority share of all car sales in the world over the next few decades. In Dubai, where the UN climate talks are being held, some are also weighing hopes on the transport sector to help us to achieve climate goals, like Michael Walsh with the International Council on Clean Transportation.
1: China is now the world leader by far. Uh, They are producing more and they are selling
0: more new energy vehicles than any other country in the world. Uh, They are ahead of Europe. They're ahead of the United States and uh, they are leading the global effort to address climate change and air pollution with these
1: new energy vehicles. So it's a very impressive program and one
0: that I hope will be accelerated going forward if we're going to achieve our 1.5 degrees C goal. How did China become the world leader in new energy vehicles? As some are still skeptical about battery-powered cars what do Chinese drivers feel about them? And more importantly, have electric cars helped to improve China's environment and cut emissions? For this, I spoke with my colleague Li Renqi. This episode is brought to you on Friday, December the 8th. Can you first tell us how did Chinese car makers manage to get ahead in the electric vehicles era?
1: There has been a whole range of factors behind the emergence of this massive uh, electric car industry. There's over a decade of consistent focus. There's mastering the battery technologies and also the government-led investment to boost the charging infrastructure. But I think on top of these very technical factors, there's a very straightforward big picture is that in China, there's no oil tycoons or fossil fuel car industry to hold back the progress of electric cars. And it's been proven that the traditional oil-related industries are very strong uh, resistance force against electric cars. In 2006, there was an American documentary film called uh, Who Killed the Electric Car? And in California, they passed a zero-emissions vehicle mandate in the 1990s and encouraged the creation of nearly 5,000 electric cars. But then the government had to reverse the mandate after relentless pressure from the oil industry and automobile manufacturers. And the EVs created at the time were taken back to either be destroyed or donated to museums. And of course, there are technical factors like the limitations of battery technology at the time. But the main reason behind that is that oil companies, they had a monopoly on transportation fuel and they didn't want to give this market share To electric cars. And the car makers, they also had very little incentive. Whereas if you look at the situation in China, the major oil companies in China are mostly state-owned, and uh, Chinese car makers, they made very little progress in the internal combustion engines. And that actually kind of came in as a blessing in disguise. And that made it easier for the Chinese car to bid farewell to the traditional car technologies and to embrace the electrification technology in the EV era. But of course, this is a, a big picture. And apart from this, there's a whole range of other factors like the consistent focus of investment and mastering key battery technologies.
0: And that's also very interesting because, you know, the bigger picture just offered us sort of tell us that China had a leg up in terms of developing the technologies and industries involving electric vehicles. But then I'm also curious, why did China start to push the development in the EV in the first place?
1: We are only hearing about how strong Chinese electric vehicles has become in the recent years. But actually the beginning of Chinese EVs can trace back to the 1990s. In 1992, there was a very notable Chinese scientist, Qian Xuesen, who wrote a letter to Zhou Jiahua, uh, the vice premier of the state council at the time, about the importance of and feasibility of China's auto industry to skip over fossil fuels and to jump right into battery technologies, so to reduce the impact on the environment as well as the dependence on oil. In 2001, the State Council launched an initiative to kick off research and pilot programs for electric cars. And that project had summed up three key objectives for China to develop electric vehicle technologies. So energy security, reducing pollution, and industrial development.
0: Then they start to have a blueprint. But I'm really curious about the actual steps that's been taken by not only the Chinese government, but also Um, the car makers themselves, what were exactly their steps have been taken so that they can take this industry ahead of others in the world?
1: Following that initiative in 2001, uh, the focus had been on research and pilot programs. And actually these pilot programs also took part in the 2008 Beijing Olympics. The city had deployed um, electric buses to help athletes and delegates transit between venues. And some of the key areas inside the Olympic Park was able to achieve zero emission with electric buses and uh, some other technologies. And then 2009 saw the beginning of a 13 year long subsidies for electric cars. uh, First starting with public transport and in that same year, and then in the next year, moving along to passenger cars. During this time span of 13 years, the subsidies had undergone numerous revisions to be more specific and targeting on innovative companies by adding detailed criteria on mileage, battery capacity, and density. And then in 2017, the subsidies started to phase out. Basically, the logic behind the subsidy program is that government wanted to incentivize for companies to develop EV technology, but at the same time, the government also doesn't want the car makers to be over dependent on subsidies. And the next 13 years from 2009 to 2022, the government had been adjusting the program to target companies that are leading innovation and gradually reducing the scale of these subsidies. So the EV industry would return to a market that's based on free competition.
0: And then, as you said, that took about more than a decade to develop. And if we have a map of the current EV market worldwide, what kind of position is the Chinese EV taking on that map? Can you pinpoint China's role or China's position in this whole map for us?
1: The number from last year is that the sales volume had grown nearly 100% to around 7 million units in 2022. And that pushed the market share of electric vehicles to 25.6%, which means slightly over a quarter of the cars running in China were electric vehicles by the end of 2022. And I think for this year, this number is only expected to become even bigger. And in terms of the global EV landscape, China is without doubt the largest EV market in the whole world. Uh, In the first half of this year, 2023, there were 3.4 million units sold in China. And this represents 55% of all the electric car sales in the whole world in the first half of this year.
0: So what has the government done in this push?
1: In terms of the role played by the government, a very critical part of EV infrastructure is the charging facilities. In China's national roadmap for charging stations is that by the end of 2025, um, the charging stations in China will be able to accommodate 20 million electric cars. I spoke with Dr. Robert Weissenmiller. He's the former chair of California Energy Commission.
0: And the Energy Commission was trying to deal with charging infrastructure
1: and he had a pretty so funny comparison on the relationship we between electric cars charging and charging stations
0: figuring out was you know the chicken and egg problem right is that you didn't want to
1: have an electric car if there weren't chargers and you weren't going to want to install chargers if there was no cars to to use them so it's very uh, important so that the government takes a lead we, in this process to ramp up the, up the charging infrastructure and that's basically what's behind this fast deployment of charging stations in China The figures from Statista shows that in 2022, China had already installed uh, 1.8 million charging stations, while the second country on the list, South Korea, uh, had around uh, 200,000 charging stations. And the next two countries, uh, U.S. and the Netherlands, uh, both with a bit over 120,000 charging stations. So it's quite clear that China's charging infrastructure is far ahead of many other countries in the world. And that's largely due to a clear focus from the national government to ramp up the charging infrastructure around the country.
0: So as you said, the EVs are proven to be very popular among Chinese consumers and the car makers are doing pretty well in the markets as well. But then I'm also curious about, you know, if we look back at the beginning phase, when China started to develop EV is that they have a set of goals they want to achieve, for example, to improve the air quality. So is EV really able to help the country to solve these problems as they planned in the beginning?
1: There are many studies looking into the environmental benefits of electric cars. The short answer is definitely yes, uh, electric cars will be greener than fossil fuel ones. Currently, there's no exact number on how much greener they can be. Uh, I've read one study from Deloitte that marked the difference to be between 25% to 45%, uh, while in another different study, this number is between 18 to 42%. And that pretty much gives you a rough sense of how green Uh, electric cars can be. And uh, a reason for why there's a difference between the bottom and the top of this range is that electric cars can only be as green as the electricity supply. In regions that are still heavily reliant on coal-fired power plants, the environmental benefits of EVs will be much lower than they're supposed to be. While we are developing technologies of uh, lithium batteries and other technologies applied on the electric vehicle, at the same time we are also applying more clean energy solutions to replace coal fired power plants uh, like uh, solar panels, wind turbines, and other clean solutions. Uh, I've spoken with Marcus Alsasser. He's the organizer of the world's largest solar panel exhibition. And basically, he says the solar panels have been so cheap and they're installing so fast, it took almost two decades for the entire world to reach one gigawatt of solar power capacity. And in this year, 2023, he expects these amount of solar power is being installed on a daily basis and one gigawatt is uh, it's about uh, the size of a nuclear power plant um, of, a, of a huge coal-fired power plant they and in the foreseeable around, future uh, the renewable energies will keep replacing um, so coal-fired power plants um, In the next uh, four to five years, we'll probably see around about 90 percent of the additional capacity being added, electricity capacity being added, will come from renewables, 90 percent. So as our electricity supply becomes greener, the the environmental benefits from electric vehicles will also become more prominent.
0: Then I have to turn my lens to Dubai for this question is that right now at the COP28 meetings uh, taking place in Dubai, a lot of experts and delegates there have expressed their concerns when it comes to, you know, how to mitigate climate change is that they're worried that the world is doing too little and too slow to really reach our goals in cutting... Um, carbon emissions, for example, or mitigating the climate change as a whole. So what do you think EVs can play in these global efforts? And how can we push forward in the future?
1: So basically, EVs are meant to replace um, the traditional fossil fuel cars. And based on the emissions data from 2018, transport accounts for around one-fifth, uh, 21%, to be exact, of global carbon emissions. So That's quite a large chunk of the carbon emissions that we produce every year. And among this mix of uh, transport emissions, road travel accounts for the largest, three quarters. And that includes cars, uh, buses, these passenger vehicles, and uh, also trucks that are carrying freight. And since the entire transport sector accounts for 21% of total emissions and road transport accounts for three quarters of transport emissions, so we can safely estimate that the passenger cars and buses that we ride on a daily basis, that accounts for 15% of total carbon emissions. So by transitioning from the traditional fossil fuel cars to uh, the electric ones, we will be able to solve uh, around 15 percent of the problem that we have at the moment.
0: And is everybody able to achieve that goal? What is the key here if we want to achieve that goal?
1: I think one way to look at this is there needs to be more cooperation between companies, between governments to expedite this process. Currently, on the company's level, it's looking pretty great. Uh, Volkswagen Uh, the world's second largest auto group. Earlier this year, they announced to invest $700 million to acquire 5% stake in Xiaopeng, a Chinese uh, electric car manufacturer. And this is not only an example of traditional car makers cooperating uh, with emerging electric ones, but also an international collaboration between China, an emerging car market, and Germany, a traditional automobile power. I spoke with Zhang Hong with the China Automobile Dealers Association, and he says this kind of international cross-border collaboration is actually very common in the business world. Uh, Many Chinese EV brands have chosen to establish their R&D departments overseas, like uh, Xiaopeng's Autonomous Driving in the Silicon Valley, and the Great Wall Motor, another major EV brand in China, uh, had the entire R&D department uh, located in the south of Germany. And that's the same case for many other brands like Neo and BYD. There may be concerns that uh, technologies, uh, patents and data need to be protected. But in practice, it's very common for companies to establish partnerships to, to push the development of EV technologies.
0: So they are saying that cooperation, especially international cooperation, is almost essential if we want to make the EVs continue to move forward. But then you shared a lot of examples of car makers. But we also know if we want to develop EVs, the government's push is also very vital in this process. And when it turns to the governments themselves, Is every government on board with this idea?
1: That's actually the second half of the story. On the company's level, it's looking pretty promising. But at the moment, there hasn't been enough collaboration on the government's level. There is a consensus to phase out fossil fuel cars for sure. But there's not so much sense of cooperation between governments, more of competition. Uh, Earlier this year, in March 2023, Uh, the European Union proposed the Net Zero Industry Act, which aims to meet 40% of European Union's needs for net zero technologies with EU manufacturing capacity by 2030. And these technologies, they had explicitly included battery technologies. And for battery, the aim is that nearly 90% of EU's annual battery demand to be met by EU battery manufacturers. So 90% need to be manufactured within the border or within the member countries of EU. And outside EU, there's also the Inflation Reduction Act in the United States, um, the, the National Production-Linked Incentive in India, and in some emerging markets and developing economies, like in Indonesia, they also introduced the policies to invest in battery manufacturing Ethiopia is offering tax exemptions for locally assembled EVs to attract investment. There's quite a clear focus of competition to boost the country's domestic manufacturing capability. Perhaps the good news is that at least the car makers are already on the move across the borders to accelerate the development of electric cars.
0: As new energy vehicles contribute to our efforts in combating climate change, other sectors within the transportation industry are also exploring ways of going green. Ships and airplanes are researching potential power alternatives other than oil. And that brings us to the end of this episode of Deep Dive. If you like what you just heard, don't forget to follow us on your podcast platform. Just search for Deep Dive. You can also leave comments to tell us what you want to know about China and beyond. This episode is brought to you by me, Fei Fei, and my colleagues Zhang Zhang and Qi Special thanks to CGTN radio reporter Li Yunqi. I'll see you in the next one.